Our scripture passage today is from the Revelation given to St. John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, you have given us your word to guide, instruct, and to teach us. But Lord, without the same spirit that inspired these words to inspire us, Lord, we can understand none of what you have revealed. Lord, I pray you send that spirit out to us at this time as we seek to read, to hear, and to understand your will for us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. Lord, may the light of your understanding fall upon us that we may know. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. After we read this, we'll have a brief moment of quiet meditation. This is the revelation of St. John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many years ago, a philosopher by the name of Hannah Arendt made a bit of a stir when she had the opportunity to witness some of the Nuremberg trials. Now, if you remember, the Nuremberg trials were the, uh, the trials for uh, war crimes against the Nazis that followed after World War II. 
And Hannah Arendt had the opportunity to witness some of these and to study some of the men that were being held um, on trial for war crimes. And in particular, she was able to interview and talk with uh, one of the former Nazis named Adolf Eichmann. And the great controversy she stirred up was her description of Adolf Eichmann. When she described him, and this was the title of her book about him, she called it The Banality of Evil. The banality of evil. So it takes from a word, banal. Now, that's not a word we use commonly. Probably the last time you've used it is when you took the SAT in high school. But the word banal is actually really a good word. It means something that is unoriginal and uncreative to the point of being boring. Unoriginal and uncreative to the point of being boring. And that is how Hannah Arendt described Adolf Eichmann as the, having the banality of evil. Now, Adolf Eichmann uh, was in charge of, of transporting Jews from their homes into the many concentration camps that Hitler had set up across, the Europe, across Europe. And what Hannah Arendt had found is that Adolf Eichmann, you know, far from being this, this, this sinister mastermind, she said, was just really a petty bureaucrat. She was a man who was, who was following his orders and didn't really care what happened to the people that he was ordered around to move. He was a man who was, um, didn't have any concern or care for others, but his main concern was just advancing his career within the Nazi hierarchy. He said, far from being just this, 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 this terrorizing figure, he was actually a fairly boring person. Now, Hannah Arendt has, has caused some controversy when she talks about evil being banal, but I think she is right in at least one sense. Evil is quite banal. The more you look at it, the more you study and you, you peel away your layers, we find that evil is unoriginal. Evil is uncreative. And evil can actually get so repetitive as to be almost boring. Now, that's not really the image that we have of the bad guys, is it? The bad guys always have the image of having a whole lot of fun. I think um, even Madonna was just on Jimmy Kimmel later this week, and, and she said, it's, it's good to be bad. And I think that's kind of the image that we all get. It's good to be bad. The bad guys are out there having a blast. They're having parties. They're just living it up. It's kind of like, a, like Billy Joel. Remember his song, Only the Good Die Young? He said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun because only the good die young. Good, on the other hand, is seen as kind of boring. It's dull. I mean, good people aren't out there having a, a, a great time. They're sitting at Cracker Barrel in the rocking chairs, sipping lemonade and playing checkers. While all the bad guys are up there living it up. I mean, you got to admit, evil has got a better PR campaign than good does. It has the image of being innovative and fun and creative. But truly nothing is further from the truth. Evil is quite banal. It's uncreative. It's unoriginal. And it would be boring if not for all the damage that evil does to our world. In fact, just think and look at all the motives and, uh, and what goes behind evil. It's all the same. It barely changes. Does anybody ever watch Dateline? You ever watch that? Well, you shouldn't watch it too much. 
Because if you watch Dateline, you'll believe that every marriage ends in murder. <laughs> That's what happens on Dateline. Every marriage ends in murder. It starts out the same way. You know, they had the perfect marriage. And you know if your marriage makes it on the Dateline, it was not a successful marriage. But if you pay attention to the motives to all the murders behind Dateline, it comes down to two. Adultery and money. Every time. In fact, that could probably describe about 90% of murders in the world. Adultery and money. You see, it's quite repetitive. Almost boring. And the reason is that evil is not a creative force. Evil creates nothing. Evil really does nothing. Evil is a destructive force. Evil is a distorting force. Evil doesn't make anything of its own. It doesn't make anything by itself. What evil does is it takes what is good and it tries to twist it. It tries to pervert it. It tries to distort it. And if it can't do that, then it tries to destroy what is evil. And see, to understand this is essential in understanding the nature of the Antichrist. And that's this figure that I read here just today in, in Revelation 13. This is, this is the figure that dominates the whole narrative of Revelation. This figure of horror and nightmare. He's called the beast or the Antichrist. He's going to rise up and persecute the children of God. It's, it's going to be a terrible time for us. It's going to be so awful. It says this in verse 7, that the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth are going to worship the beast. It's going to be a frightening time. It's going to be a terrifying time. And we have the beast as Antichrist as a frightening and a terrifying figure. But what we can't do is make out of him something that he is not. He is frightening. He is powerful. Probably going to be the most powerful mortal human being that ever walks the earth. But let's not make him into something that he is absolutely not. Because the nature of this beast, the nature of Antichrist is the nature of evil. It says that the, the beast was given all the power, it says of the dragon, which we know from last week that the dragon is actually Satan. So all the power of Satan has been given to this beast, to this human figure, this Antichrist. And the thing about Satan, though, is he doesn't have a plan. Okay, Satan doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have some master. He's not a mastermind. He doesn't have this great scheme of, of, of creating a world all on his own. He doesn't have a plan. Because Satan is not a creative force. Evil is an anti-creative force. All it can do is destroy and distort. So, so the plan of Satan, if you can even call it a plan, is just to interfere with God. That's all he wants to do, is interfere with God. What is God going to do? So, okay, I'm going to go mess it up. God do something over here. Well, I'm going to go mess it up over here. He doesn't think of anything of his own. He's not original. He's not creative. He just tries to find what God is doing, sees what God is doing. And tries to interfere, destroy, distort, get in the way. That's all evil is. That's all evil does. What it does, it takes what is good and tries to make it evil. It takes what God has given us for life and for goodness, for joy, for sustenance, for health. 
and tries to make it something that destroys, that kills, that makes us sick. I mean, take, take food, for example. God has given us wonderful food. He's given us fresh fruits and vegetables and clean proteins and even good fats for us to enjoy and for eat. And, and the whole point of food is to give us nourishment, is to give us life. So what does the devil do? He creates trans fats and MSG and encourages us to put ranch dressing on our pizza. I mean, is there any way we can think of, can I make this pizza any unhealthier? Oh yeah, I can just slather it in ranch dressing. And y'all have all done it, don't act like you haven't. Y'all have all had a little container from Papa John's and used the crust to get that little blast bit of ranch dressing out of it. You see, but God has given us that food to nourish and to strengthen. And evil takes that food and uses it to destroy. And even one of the most uh, you know, controversial uh, subjects about good and evil, talk about sex. God doesn't have a problem with that. He invented it. It's his idea. And he gave it to us for good and for life. That's where new human beings come from. That's where new creatures made in the image of God come from. He's, he's, he's given us that to create life. He's given it that to strengthen a bond between a man and woman in marriage. And what, is, what does the evil do? Distort it in every way possible so it does the exact opposite. But that's what Satan's been doing from the very beginning of the world. He's taking what God has done and try to distort it and to destroy it. God created the world. Satan orchestrated the fall of the world. God created a people for himself. Satan raised up temptation and enemies to harass those people. God gave us his law. And Satan introduced works righteousness and self-righteousness and pride at our own goodness. But then God brought us a Messiah. He brought us his own son, and Satan, as he does, he has nothing else to do with something good but to try to destroy and distort it. And so his first line of defense was to try to tempt, to tempt Jesus. He was going to distort him. He was going to twist him to his own purposes. But it didn't work with Christ. Christ withstood the temptation, and he stayed true to the work and to the, the law of God. And so Satan, realizing he could not distort the Messiah, then tried to destroy him. And that failed too. He got to kill him, but Christ came back to new life. And through that faithful work of Christ, the kingdom of God is coming near and it is closer every day. And through that defeat of Satan, you can see the work, his work of destroying and distorting is, is, is beaten. Because Satan comes in and he continues to our life to try to distort and destroy what God does. But it's the grace of God that makes it right again. And through all of our sin, it is distorted through evil, but then the grace comes and it puts it right again. Even the parts of us that have been destroyed by sin, Christ comes and through the grace of God gives us life again. In our passage today, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is on the doorstep, ready to take its place in full glory. And so what Satan does here is he does like he always does. He tries to distort and destroy. He's been cast out of heaven and he's lost a lot of, of his authority. But now, says Satan, is actually walking the earth. 
And he knows everything is about to be lost. Centuries of his work are going to be destroyed. So he makes one last desperate gamble to try and prevent the work of God from being fulfilled. Don't forget, though, he's an uncreative power. He can't think of anything to do himself. He's a power that only imitates and distorts. And so as the kingdom of God is coming in fullness, the only thing that Satan can do is he can't beat Christ. He can't wipe out the church. He's tried all those things. His only option is to try to deceive whoever he can deceive. And if he can't deceive, then persecute. See, the story of, of the beast, the Antichrist, is the story of Satan striking back against the kingdom of God. He's trying to, to foil, trying to make the plan of God fail, and the only thing he can do is deceive whoever he can. And if he can't deceive, then destroy. So Satan, we are told, is going to set up this beast, this Antichrist. And we call him an antichrist because he is an imitation of Christ, but this imitation of Christ stands against everything that Christ stands for. Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. The beast is made by Satan. Jesus walks in the power of God. The beast walks in the power of the dragon. Christ was wounded for our transgressions and gave us life. And it says that one of the heads of the beast seemed to be wounded. And we'll talk about that, what means a little bit next week. Christ praises God while the beast utters blasphemy. Christ marks his people, the righteous, with the seal of God. The beast forces his mark on all people. Christ gathers the nations together to bring them redemption and life. The beast is going to rule over all the nations in terror and fear. We worship Christ as a Savior. The beast will be worshipped as if he is a Savior. So what we have here are the forces of evil raising this figure to be worshipped and to rule over the world. And not to rule in righteousness, but to rule in deceit and wickedness. But see, there's only one goal he has, and it's not to create anything, it's not to build anything. One goal the beast has, and Satan has, and all of evil has, is to turn people away from the worship of Christ. See, the devil doesn't care who you worship. He really doesn't care, as long as you're not worshiping Jesus Christ. He doesn't care if you worship money, or power, or Hare Krishna, or Jay-Z. I mean, he doesn't care. As long as you aren't worshiping Jesus Christ. And that's what this Antichrist figure is all about. This worldly figure offering worldly salvation. And the many temptations that people will have to follow. As this worldly figure offers us the promises of wealth and security and pleasure. And if you don't fall for that, then there's going to be punishment and hard time following. And all the values that are promoted by this Antichrist are the distortion of all of God's laws and values, idolatry and sorcery, immorality, deceit, pride, wrath, greed, and lawlessness. And it has one goal, to deceive the people and keep them from the worship 
of Christ. Those who not be deceived will be persecuted. Some we're told will be thrown in prison. And some will even be killed. It's going to be a terrifying time. I mean, it's going to be an awful time. Jesus said it will be the worst persecution the world has ever known. But I want you to understand what's really going on here. What's really going on here in this, this awful chapter 13 of Revelation is this is the last desperate gamble of a force that knows it is about to lose. It's the last great conflict until the kingdom of God arrives in its fullness and its glory. And as terrifying as it is going to be, ultimately it's going to be the same uncreative, uninspired, banal evil that we've had from us, had with us from the very beginning. Okay, good. Good can be boring. Good can afford to be boring because good is really exciting. Good is really and truly and in truth and fact extremely exciting so it can be boring. It doesn't need the, the scandal. It doesn't need the controversy because it truly is exciting. But evil is nothing. I want to impress upon that to you today. Evil is truly nothing. It is an imitation and it is a distortion of everything that is good. It's nothing. It can't even exist by itself. Okay, some people want to tell you that good and evil need each other to exist. Good doesn't need evil. Good just does just fine all by itself. It's evil that needs good because without good, evil has nothing to distort. Evil has nothing to destroy. So evil has to raise up an antichrist because it doesn't have the real Christ. It doesn't have the real king. It doesn't have the real savior. So it has to raise up an imitation, a fake, and a fraud. Now, there are a lot of antichrists out there, little a antichrists. And we see them repeated all throughout history, all throughout time. And we see the same thing happen because Satan doesn't have any creativity. He has to do the same thing over and over and over again. And all he can do is try to imitate the work of God. There are a lot of antichrists out there from Napoleon and Hitler and Caesar to the little Nas X or whatever it is you worship instead of Christ. But they're all fakes. They're all frauds because there is only one Christ, only one Son of God. There's only one Savior. And you don't need any imitation because you have the real thing. And you don't need to ever fear any fake Christ because your Christ is the King of heaven and earth. There's a lot of evil in life. There's a lot of evil that we have to experience even before we go through that time of awful tribulation. There's just the great tribulation of history. A lot of threat, a lot of danger, and it, and it seems sometimes like the world is full of nothing but bad times. We're even sometimes tempted to think that evil is actually stronger than good. That's because you're watching Dateline too much. 
I want you to know something. Evil is not stronger than good. Evil can't be stronger than good because evil is nothing without good. It doesn't even exist. It's a perversion and an imitation. What is real is good. What is good is real. God is what is real. And when the real comes in fullness, everything that is false will pass away. Whether it's the small evils of everyday life or the great evil of an antichrist that's going to oppress the whole world, one day everything false is going to be gone and only the good will remain. And all that have remained faithful, who refuse to let go of the word, the promise, and the testimony of Christ, all those will be able to witness everything that oppressed, everything that hated, and everything that terrorized pass into oblivion. Well, all that remains, all that is good, all that is in Christ, receives an inheritance of eternal life. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do not fear the false things of this world. Do not fear their power. For when the real comes, all that is false will pass away. And it is you who have been chosen to remain. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.